Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and boy, do we have another doozy for you. We stayed weekly, which means that we have a lot of things to catch up in the last seven days of women's soccer action. This week, I am joined by Party Catry. How's it going, Party? I'm doing okay. Somehow yeah. still awake. Hanging in probably there. <laughs> the cup of coffee and the nap probably helped, but yeah. I will crash later for sure. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'll be honest. I am. I have struggled with with this tournament schedule. Um, seems like the players have struggled with this tournament <laughs> schedule too. But I can definitely confirm that I have. Um, I the Olympic tournament. We know this going into it, but it's a little bit different to feel just how quickly games are played. Uh, not made easier by the fact that we're watching it. You know, I'm watching it at three o'clock in the morning in Chicago. Um, I have felt a little bit disconnected to this tournament, I think, in, in many ways, kind of due to those factors and probably the fact that the U.S. And we'll, we'll get into the results in a second. But fair to say that the U.S. has not looked locked in in a way that has made the people watching them feel good. I feel like the, the result watching the U.S. this whole time, and we're going to talk about this in the context of their semifinal loss to Canada, was concern for them and just kind of like white knuckling it through this whole thing as they do advance, you know. Um, so how's it been for you, Pardeep? How has this Olympic tournament felt? And do you think that. And I don't want to get into any bigger questions of, you know, what's the place of the Olympics in the grand scheme of things for soccer. But do you think that what we've seen so far has been something that is is good, just good soccer viewing? Hmm. I don't think I don't think if you set up a tournament so that small squads are playing games every three days and on top of that in incredibly humid climates you're going to get great soccer all the time. I think the group stage was a little bit more fun for that reason because right. players weren't fatigued and there were more teams around. And even the teams that got out were, you know, for the most part, or, you know, a certain percentage, relatively entertaining. You know, Zambia sticks out of my mind. They didn't play sure. a boring game. Yeah. Um, but when you set up a tournament like this, the semifinals are probably just going to suck. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're they, right. And they yeah. kind of did. And it doesn't yeah. help that, you know, everybody over here is watching anywhere from 4 a.m. to 1 a.m., you know, but this is, you don't create a great soccer tournament in those uh, circumstances. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, like, I don't want to discount even the quarterfinal round, which we will also discuss, because there were some really incredible individual performances in that round uh, for actually the losing side (laughs) as often as not. Um, It it seems like, and well, we can probably talk about this more next time when we talk about the tournament as a whole, but it seems like every team and I'm going to even include Sweden in this, in, in this semifinal game against Australia, every team has struggled in certain ways. And even if they've looked strong in, in a one game or two games, they've had other games where you think, oh, wow, this they have not been set up to have any real foundation, right, of quality. Um, but let's jump into the U.S. here. So since we last recorded, the U.S. has played three games, one of which we're not really going to talk about very much. We'll maybe discuss it in the context of the game they have in front of them. But uh, the last group stage game, not a lot to write home about both teams. Uh, the U.S. and Australia decided to pass the ball amongst each other for 90 minutes, shake hands, and and move on to the next. But let's get into the quarterfinal and then the semifinal for the United States because 
what we saw were two very close games and one where the U.S. got the bounces and one where the U.S. did not. And so let's start with Pardeep. And I'm, I'm going to tee you up for some stuff here because there are like some big questions <laughs> to ponder. Did the United States unnecessarily make their margin of victory so thin that they were able to be bounced out of the tournament by kind of a, a soft penalty call? Yeah, I, I feel comfortable saying yes to that question. I think you can probably explain some of it. You know, I honestly think that a lot of the, the forwards were not in good form this tournament. And I think that really hamstrings Vlatko Inanovsky and his coaching staff, because that's kind of, that's just kind of the way the USWNT play. They usually don't have, even if one or two forwards are out of form, usually somebody else is in form and they can get the job done. But I think maybe most of the forwards were not in good form. Weirdly, Sam Mewis and Abby Dahlkamper were in bad form too. But I think really what another part of the problem was is that the adjustment for that was sort of creating this tactic where, like you said, the margin of error was too small. Right. Instead of maybe, I mean, I think one of the things people will quibble about is who got the start, who got subbed when they did, especially during the Canada match, probably at times during the Netherlands match too. I remember thinking that Lynn Williams maybe should have played longer against the Netherlands, but um, yeah, I think the adjustment to make up for any lack of quality probably costs this team. Yeah. And I think that that opens up another really interesting question that I don't think we're going to know the answer to until we get more information, which is, did Vlad Andonovsky cause this or was he merely reacting to what was happening in front of him? And I think one of the things we have to look at here, both in the Netherlands game and in the Canada game, as you said about the forwards all really being out of form, he triple subbed, he line changed the attack in two games. And now he had some answers for that, right? He talked about how he wanted to have some of those players on for the penalties against the Netherlands, that possibility. But a lot of people kind of got on his case about it and said, why are you adjusting for penalties in the 60th minute? And maybe that indicates that he knew (laughs) that none of his forwards were playing very well. And so I think you can maybe at kinder or not look at some of the adjustments that, that Vladko made and say, well, you can look at it as he caused this problem or he was merely reacting to the data in front of him, which is that every single one, and maybe that's bad luck, maybe it's poor uh, uh, preparation. You know, none of those players really stuck out. You know, I think Kristen Press was not bad. I think that she probably, out of everybody, she and Lynn Williams had the the best tournaments relatively. Totally Um, agree. uh, You know, I think that she, those two also did a good job with their defensive work, their defensive marking. Um, I really have no complaints about those two, but, and they'll be the first to admit it. Megan Rapinoe admitted it after the semifinal. I don't think Megan Rapinoe, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, to maybe a lesser extent, Tobin Heath even really showed up. Yeah. No, so, I'm, that's, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. you were, you were saying that 
uh, press and Williams were probably the most informed uh, forwards. I totally agree with that. That's, that's really my chief complaint with the tactical uh, situation that mm. Vlatko Andonovsky then set himself up for. I'm not saying it, well, maybe to some degree it's his fault that, the players are out of form, but let's just say that's a a situation of bad luck. We can leave that there for now. I don't know why you don't adjust it so that your two most informed players are playing together. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, uh, At some point. Right. (laughs) It's just, that's the thing that I question. Yeah, I agree. Um, Right. It is, again, it's, it's interesting. And and in some ways I was actually joking this morning, like kudos to the United States who are going to be playing for a medal, despite being their worst possible selves in this tournament. It's like a little bit, you have to like tip your hat. You're like, well, kudos to you, you guys, this was awful. And yet you might still come out of this with a medal. I know. So I, know. I mean, that like, maybe it, speaks it, to the quality of the team. I don't know. I guess to a yeah. certain extent, like can still hack it against teams that are turning it on against them so you know credit there (laughs) okay so so let's talk about some other elements here i know the heavy rotation is one that that was a big topic of discussion because i think people thought i thought that he in the group stage was doing that rotation in order to set just like make some set decisions in the knockout stages and very distinctly black wendanowski did not do that um so next question do you think that the rotation affected cohesion or do you think that the cohesion uh, dictated the rotation? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I really think based on all of the matches I watched, which is all of them actually, that I don't, I don't think there's any combination of this team that's going to be cohesive right now. I think they're in this weird string of form. I do question if if it was the rotation, but I, I don't know. This is a team that in preparation rotates a lot. Yeah. And usually you don't see cohesion issues. A lot of these people have played together in different uh, combinations. But now that I think about it, Jill Ellis didn't actually do this as much. She had basically like an A team and a B team and the A team always played together and the B team always played together. Yeah. So maybe, but I think, I don't know. I just think it's something a little bit bigger and a little bit more mysterious right now. Agreed. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that, well, people ragged on Jill Ellis for that. People said, you know, you have to get people more time and you have to go with fresh legs and you can't just keep playing the same 11 for this whole tournament. And she did, you know? Um, Yeah. I think that also we have to talk about this in the context of the Sweden loss, which I think everybody kind of took the way that you had to, which is that it was a game they could afford to lose, right? Not a tournament loser, but you have to reflect on it perhaps in the context of what Megan Rapino said after the Canada semifinal. And if there's anybody who doesn't know, just real quick, uh, the U S advanced uh, against the Netherlands in a quarterfinal that had goals from Lynn Williams and Sam Mewis. Uh, the Netherlands had a brace from Vivian Miedema, who is absolutely going to win the golden boot. She's had it. She had a fabulous tournament. Um, that game went to penalties. They advanced on penalties on Early Monday morning, they lost to Canada for the first time since 2001 against uh, a penalty taken by Jesse Fleming in the 74th minute. 
uh, context to that, the U.S. did not register their first shot on goal until the 65th minute. So this game, they were playing into Canada. They were just playing into Canada's game plan, man. Like the Canada is a team that is very defensively sound. They have a lot of very basic fundamentals. They play with like a two number six pivot between Kim Quinn. Oh my gosh. Sorry guys. I'm tired. <laughs> Quinn and, and, and Desiree Scott Quinn is the distributor. Desiree Scott is the more physical presence. They distribute out to the wings and then they feed balls in. Now that game against Canada, and maybe let's hone in on that one. Yes. That, that penalty was against Tierna. There's a penalty against Tierna Davidson. It was one that actually was not called on the field. It was flagged by VAR and VAR um, ultimately decided that that was a foul on Tierna Davidson. I'm not sure I agree with that call. I think that's really, really harsh on that player, but I, I see why the call is made. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see an argument against it too, but as long as I can see the argument for it, I'm not going to complain. Yeah, I see that's it. fair. That's fair. That's fair. They did get there, but there was definitely contact. There was definitely contact. Can't yeah. agree with that. Um, but the issue is the rest of it, right? It's not, it's not that if, if you, I mean, I think you look at like why the U S has not lost to Canada since 2001. It's because they weren't waiting around for someone to get a penalty on them, you know? Um, so the first half of that game, was a grind. And I think that just the story of this one is just that the U S could not score. Right. Absolutely. I mean, what, this is the third game where that they didn't score it out of five. Yeah. I mean, this one, I mean, it, this was probably just as troubling as some of the other ones. I think you can probably compare it to sweet. The Sweden game is probably one of the, one of the two more troubling games for them going forward because that, that is the U S identity right right they will regardless of the opponent find a way to score that's why you don't bet against them but it comes back to those out of form forwards these players just i mean i I almost cannot explain it outside of these players just having real and really unlucky run of form but yeah, I mean they've played just straight into Canada's game. Yeah. That's that's really the issue here is that we've seen this you I mean that's probably the one warning sign we got before this tournament is that against more defensively minded teams the US has a harder time yeah. winning games, but they had still won those games and they still found ways to score. You didn't you wouldn't so much criticize the performance as much as you would understand that this is just one of the challenges that they have. Sure. But really the issue has been all tournament long. Now that they lose, now that they have competitive matches, now that the other teams are really good, it's that they have not been able to perform at a level that has been recognizable. Right. The, the approach against Canada was it was never in a place where they were going to be able to overcome Canada's really defensive game plan. And credit to Canada for absolutely for not just setting themselves up in that way, but truly achieving uh, a really well executed game plan. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's down to the fact that this team has either by choice or by bad luck played themselves into a position all tournament long where they're not playing like themselves anymore and they're playing, they, the margin of error is so small and then you can't bet on anything. Right. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a, a good point. I think that now maybe we talk about the mentality aspect because when you think about, right, this Canada game, which was both unlucky and not unlucky at all, Alyssa Nair leaves this match uh, around the half-hour mark with a knee injury, and she was on crutches after the game. It was not not a good not a good moment, and so it seemed like a little bit. It's not like the U.S. was wrapping themselves in glory even before that point, but that happens, and Canada gets a second to regroup, and the U.S. gets sh- again just like a tiny little shake in their mentality, and that's where this game kind of turns into just sort of this Latin, you know, sort of a mess for the U S um, they looked very mentally strong in the penalties against the Netherlands. No doubt about that. Right. Mm-hmm. But obviously we were talking about last week, still true. Abby Dahlkemper had some pretty tough mental uh, lapses in that match uh, to give Vivian Miedema space Um you talk about giving up penalties. They've gave up penalties two games in a row. <laughs> That's not yeah. really something that the U.S. does. Um, the hard thing about this is we don't know why, and we're not going to for a while. It's possible that that Sweden game was so – that it, it shattered maybe something that they hadn't considered. It's possible. I know a lot of people think it's a coaching issue. They think that the team has kind of been ground into dust by the coaching philosophy. Um, I think that's really hard to determine. Uh, I think that obviously we've seen in these Olympic games, there's a myriad of things that could set a team off mentally, whether it is the team going from a country with, you know, a little bit more loosened COVID restrictions back into a very strict bubble uh, whether it is whatever process went down to the roster selection. I know players said before the roster was selected that that was a very tense camp that they had in Texas before that roster was picked. Uh, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, so I don't know, Pardeep, if you have any thoughts. I mean, we know that they haven't looked like themselves in a way that seems to supersede like soccer, <laughs> Right. It doesn't feel like there's a soccer answer for what we saw during this tournament. And so I don't know. Do you have a feeling about whether. Well, let's like take all of those points. I'll get I'll start with two of them. Do you think that the Sweden game, because what they said after the Sweden game was not particularly inspiring. They were a little bit like we don't know what happened. Do you think that it was the Sweden game that maybe set the tone for them mentally during this tournament or. I know a lot of people were talking about the team not having an identity. And I guess it's that same, it's a kind of a chicken or an egg question again. Do you think that it was the coaching that caused the identity issue? Or do you think it was the identity issue that informed the coaching? Ooh, you have great questions, Claire. You know that I'm Uh, trying. Oh, well, all I, well, it helps that I don't know what the heck happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I'll start by saying that I don't think the Sweden game I don't I wouldn't argue that it shook them up. I would argue that they didn't come into the game. 
I think the mentality was gone from the get-go. I don't think at any point, even at the beginning, they looked like themselves. And so I think the Sweden game didn't do the damage. I think it affirmed the damage. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, So I will... I will lean that it was something that happened pre-tournament. And I I remain unsure that it's a coaching thing because this is a it, these players have really really enjoyed playing for Vlatko Andonovsky. They have said it a lot of different times. These are also players that have played for four different coaches at this yeah. point. You know, there's Pia Sundhaga veterans or people who went through Tom Sermani era, Jill Ellis, now Vladko we've never seen them get rattled by a coach, you know? Yeah. Right. So I don't, I don't know that it's that because even then I don't, I don't think even before this tournament, you didn't question the identity of this team. So it really, you, it goes to this point that you made that it doesn't feel like a soccer answer. Maybe it is a soccer answer. I don't know, but it really, I feel like, I mean, I have to imagine, I, I know I have, and I have to imagine many people have been running through so many different scenarios since that Sweden game as to what, how we got from point A to point B, but going through all of the different soccer scenarios, it doesn't feel like I've reached a satisfactory answer. And I have to imagine that's true for a lot of other people. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it does. It does. I think, no, no, it's the point of just that, like, you are, you are of a similar mindset that you don't think that it's like their coach have stripped them of, of their identity or whatever. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about, we've, everybody has been talking about in this tournament about how athletes are human and we've seen a lot of high profile athletes, struggle with the pressure of these games i'm thinking you know obviously simone biles is someone and i wouldn't even say simone biles is injured she is not struggling with the pressure she is injured but um someone like naomi osaka can uh left the tournament early someone like nija houston in skateboarding he struggled he was a little bit tight and was trying a little bit too hard and he didn't medal at all uh you look at you know he's not not everybody's favorite guy but Novak Djokovic struggled you know uh he's it's a different different thing but we've seen a lot of favorites come into this tournament and have a hard time and I don't know if that is indicative of just the year that we've all had I don't know if we are at a point with access towards athletes through social media that they're feeling that pressure more maybe than they have in the past. They know the expectations that are being placed on them because they're seeing it all the time. It could be a variety of different things. Uh, And like I said, honestly, still, and uh, people will disagree with me on this, but they're still going to play for a medal. And I I think that we should acknowledge that that is a very difficult thing to do. Um, So, Here's one maybe other question about this team. Just just to go back oh, yeah, to go your ahead, go point. Ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It also is worth mentioning that this version of the Olympic Games is way more tense than any other version we've ever seen. It's you know, like there, there isn't that like vibe of positivity on top of it. And that's because we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And I think a lot of people have legitimate complaints with the way that uh, not just the tournament has been run, but the way the Japanese government has handled this tournament being hosted in their country during a pandemic while 
nobody nearby can even attend. It's not, the atmosphere is not there. And I think everybody's just sort of doing their best. I think literally every single person in this ecosystem, be it the athletes or the coaches or the media or just even supporters, it is, it's, I think we will probably remember this Olympic games as one that wasn't easy to watch and not necessarily because we're waking up at 4am or whatever, but not easy to enjoy. That's something that Megan Rapinoe also talked about. And I don't think these two things are necessarily linked, but she said this on the NBC broadcast after the Canada loss that this team didn't have the same joy and the same flow that it usually does. And it could be a million different things. She said that she didn't know what it was that caused that. But at the end of the day, the joy and the flow of an Olympic games and of a sporting event in general just isn't there. And it hasn't been there for a long time because we're living in the middle of a pandemic and that strips the joy out of a lot of different things. Yeah. And I also think, and I, I want to be clear about this too, that um, some other teams in this tournament really came to play. And, yes. and I will say that the Olympics more than any other tournament uh, in its structure, uh, this is why we see some more diversity in the meddling in, in women's soccer in the recent years. Is it really, is it advantageous for the team that keeps it simple, keeps it uh, focused and yeah, doesn't just plays their game plan and shows up on the day. And I think you saw that you've seen that in Sweden. You've seen that with Canada. You've seen Australia just through sheer force of will, you know, and, and I'm really excited about that team too. And what Tony Gustafsson has been doing with them, because it seems like they do, they've got that organization that they didn't necessarily have in, in previous eras. And I, the Netherlands had great tournaments. I mean, I think obviously that great Britain game against Australia could have gone both ways. I don't know. I have never really adhered to the, the world is catching up narrative. And I also don't think that this tournament is indicative of that because the U S has played terribly. <laughs> so I don't know if we can say yes, that everybody's catching up because we have did not see a full strength United States in this one, but these teams are good. And yes. they came to play and they're deeper than they've ever been. And the coaching, I, I actually also just really want to highlight the coaching is yeah. better than it's ever been. Sweden's coach has always had a very specific game plan, not only for the U S but for every team that they play. Tony Gustafsson has been a really good influence on that Australia team. Bev Priestman is there's going to be a 35 year old woman coaching for an Olympic gold. And I think that's awesome. I know. And she just showed up too. Yeah. I didn't think that Canada would be the finished product yet, yeah. but a lot of credit to her for what she has accomplished in already just a short amount of time. Agreed. And yeah. so I think that you, we are on a focus, focus on a U.S. perspective. And I think that obviously the U.S. has presented a lot of questions that we would like to answer, but I want to acknowledge that too. And it's exciting in many ways, actually, because Absolutely. I think that the U.S. should be challenged by teams who are not afraid of them. And I, the big one, I think Sweden's maybe one, but the big one's Canada. Yes. Canada did not show up thinking, oh, maybe, you know, plucky little underdogs will pull this off. No, they, they showed up, they played their game plan. They were, you know, they're hyper professionals. And 
it wasn't even something I've said this about Sweden. It wasn't something miraculous that they did. They just played their game plan well. And that was enough to beat the U S and I um, think that's the way you got to play against the U S yeah. For now, I mean, even even in this weird tournament, they still go into every match as the favorites. Mm-hmm. So you should uh, teams shouldn't play afraid of them, right? Because even if you lose, people aren't going to, th- you know, you're not you're not really there weren't expectations on you to win. Not maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but at the end of the day if you do your best and you still don't win, it's not going to say as much as if you do as if anything really the U S does. Right. Really? Yeah. Right. It's and and this is where we've started to see the U S kind of buckle under that pressure a little bit. And yeah. so, yeah, it is easier sometimes not to be the U S yes. <laughs> go, go, you know, go knock them, knock them in the teeth, you know, and, and see how they respond. And if they don't respond, that's your game to win, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, one I have one last question here to kind of wrap this up. And this one looks to the future. Okay. Now, they do have one more game to play against Australia, and we will definitely see how they respond mentally to that. Uh, we were talking about this before we started. I think Australia is on an upswing right now, and the U.S. is on a downswing. And usually, it's the team that was the most gutted by the semifinal loss that does the worst in the third-place game. And I just think that might be the U.S. Uh, yes, I agree. We'll see. Uh but I think the last thing to look at here, and this is the thing that I know the team publicly did not really want to consider, did not want to answer questions about this. So we talked about how the forwards were out of form, right? And we talked about some issues with cohesion in the midfield and some lack of pace and positioning on the defense. This roster. Now, I want to be kind in a way to this roster in that I would have understood it if they had not had an extra year off. And I understand that they were put in a difficult position because in that year off, it's not like you were developing younger talent to take their place. So I think it would have been just as risky within, in the context of just, just in the context of the pandemic year to say, well, actually we're getting rid of everybody over the age of, of 33 and we are bringing in younger talent and surprise you're the U S women's national team now, you know, but this plan of running it back for one last go around with this crew didn't work. And so my question to you, Pardeep is, is it possible that outside of everything else, the U S were not set up to win this tournament because they took the wrong players and they bet on the wrong things. Maybe, but they put themselves in that position months ago. Right. Yeah. Really? Like, I mean, I was actually thinking about that this morning. Just, you know, off the top of my head, it was Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapinoe, but they're not the only two in this conversation. Who do you take in their place if you're deciding the roster weeks ago? And the answer is no one because nobody was competing for those spots at that point. Except maybe Lynn Williams, who ended up making it onto the roster anyway. So whatever. But right, that that's always the bet when you have a really good group of people. Is is this gonna be the last time or is it not? And I feel like it's, 
I think it's easy to have both answers in a way where it's like, yeah, it's easy to bet on the experience because it worked out for them in 2019, but there's a big difference between 2019 and 2021. Um, I, uh, philosophically speaking, always like to lean towards bringing in younger talent. So that will probably always be my answer, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the team, that there should be younger people getting experience so that when they're called on again later, I mean, there's a World Cup just two years away, but even if the World Cup was even further down the road, like normal years, those people have something to lean back on. And now the U.S. will have to start basically from scratch. And that's not going to really be a... It's going to be an interesting thing to follow, and it was always going to be an interesting thing to follow. But that's why I always... If it's me making the decisions, I'm always going to bet on bringing in some young talent because at the very least, to keep some of the older people honest. Yeah, I think... So the funny thing where I'm at with it is I think you're right. I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that... Blackwindanovsky could say, well, there was nobody else that was ready to play in this tournament. And it's like, yeah, because you didn't make them ready. Uh, <laughs> and also yeah. nobody's ready. Clearly, even the veterans were not ready for this. You're never going to be ready for your first international tournament. That's why you have to go play one. Um, and it does. I, I said this weeks ago that when you put yourself in a win now mentality, if you don't win, you don't get anything else out of that. Right. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, you, you bring in the, the kids and they get bronze. You go, that's great kids, you know, and, but you bring in this crew and, and, and they get bronze or even get fourth. And, and it's a, it's a different conversation. I will say for me, I know who the players are. I feel Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, Katarina Macario, Mallory Pugh, uh, Jaylene Howell, uh, Naomi Girma, I, Emily Fox. We know who the players are. Right. They've even been involved in the U.S. camps in the past. Right. The question is there. Yes, exactly. And so the bigger question is, how do you get them ready in the next two years? And so this is actually my final question here. Do you think first question, do you think Vlad Kwanenovsky is on a hot seat and should he be? I think the seat is a little bit hot. I think he will probably have to, I mean, I think regardless of how the tournament would shake out, he was going to have some extended conversations with his bosses. I think he will, I think he can successfully convince them that he's still the guy for the job. Um, but I think we will all now, and I think he, I, I would be very surprised if he doesn't have this job for the World Cup in two years. But I think we're now going to all spend the next two years wondering about his decision-making ability, not just in roster decisions, but in games. In the thick of it, yeah. Yes, because a lot of the complaints will be about his game management. And he doesn't get any opportunity to prove anything from now until the World Cup. This is right. right. No, I agree. I I think that you have to... You have to give him the rebuild because that's what Absolutely. you hired him for. Yes. Um, and then, right. The bigger question. And I know that this is like hard considering that the you, that this didn't work in the Olympic games is you also trust that he will have learned from this and will make some adjustments because, but again, it just goes back to was the hyper pragmatism him imposing it on the team or was it him reacting to a team that was underperforming? You know, I, it's really just hard to tell if this was a coach 
who saw that disaster of a Sweden game and was like, we have to stop the bleeding. Here's how we do that. Or if he was the one who, who caused it. And so I agree. I think this in many ways, the future is certain for the U S but in many ways, it's also uncertain. Yes. Uh, Interesting narratives to follow for the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I think that in a way it's not necessarily bad that this, I mean, obviously you have an emotional connection to these players. You would want them to go out the way that they want to go out, but uh, sometimes it's good to, to have some light see through the cracks a little bit and, and have to evaluate that because it does make you stronger in the future. And many people said that that failure in 2016 informed the 2019 win. And I also think that in many ways, if you were winning all the time, it, you're never, you're never going to adapt. So yes, I would say that for me, we will be talking about the gold and, and bronze medal matches. And I'm very excited to see, uh, Sweden play Canada. Both teams look very tired. I hope they're yeah. okay. Um, I'm excited for Christine Sinclair to get the highest medal she'll have ever won. And I think that if there is any team based on a full tournament performance that deserves to be the gold medalist, it is Sweden. Okay, I also completely. think I also have hopes that USA Australia will be a banger. And I'm going to be completely honest. If Australia pulls this one out, I'm not going to be too mad about that either. I like that. No, team it should, a lot. It'll probably be fun if that happens. Yeah, exactly. Look, as uh, long as we're getting something better than the other US Australia game from this tournament, I think <laughs> I'll be okay. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, uh, a tournament that is leaving a lot of questions unanswered, but that's sports, you know, and we'll kind of see, see what happens next. Uh, but what we do know for sure is that eventually the United States will be coming back uh, stateside and they will be rejoining the NWSL, which did not take a break. So we will be back in a minute to talk NWSL action in just one second. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, I am joined by Pardeep Katri. And before we talk about NWSL action, I'm going to do the thing that I do every single week. I'm going to ask you to rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us that you enjoy it. Uh, We might even read some of the reviews on the podcast eventually once I get my act together. Uh, But (laughs) please give us a rating and a review. It helps people find us, which is eternally helpful. Okay, so Pardeep. NWSL action. Uh, do you wish they would have taken a break? Yeah. We've seen some people say that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all have enough going on right now? <laughs> Paul Riley was fined for saying so. I think it's the first time an NWSL coach has gotten fined for a pregame presser. I know. Usually that's what I was thinking post-game. too. It's very funny too, because some of those pregames are not interesting in any way i'm like we this this could have been an email but uh to be fair i don't think paul riley's comments were even that interesting yeah no it seems like the league was uh over overreaching a little bit on that one so if anybody's going to get the the first uh fine for a pre-match comment it feels like paul riley's the right guy yeah i mean i think it, it was either what's unclear is in that pregame he said two things he said that he wished that the U that the uh, NWSL would have taken a break. And he also said that he wished that league COVID protocol matched more the guidelines that we're getting from the CDC rather than being a little bit um, more strict. He again had players unavailable under COVID protocol, which leads me to believe that they're on a two week quarantine, despite the fact that they are vaccinated and probably have tested negative at this point. Um, I don't know if Paul Riley's right about that, but I just, those were the two things. So we don't know um, 
which exactly it was. So let's jump into this North Carolina game. So North Carolina hosted the Orlando pride. Uh, this was Becky Burley's big NWSL debut. And those vibes were very good. The pride yeah. were post game. They talked about how happy they are to have her there. Coaches across the league have said that they're stoked to have her involved in the NWSL. I think everyone's just really excited for what Becky Burley is going to be able to do with this team in the latter half of this season. This game did end up being a, a tie, a really nice play from Allie Krieger to Sydney LaRue opened the scoring, but then almost immediately Brittany Radcliffe actually equalized there. There's a name that we haven't heard on the score sheet in a while. Uh, she equalized for North Carolina and that was it. That was the scoring <laughs> was a real flurry, a real flurry right next to each other. Um, probably the theme for this week is going to be that we're not going to probably take any grand things away from this particular weekend. I think these teams have been playing on short rosters for a while they know that the end of the Olympic period is in sight and they are just trying to get whatever points they can until we reach the final third, essentially of the season uh, thoughts on North Carolina versus Orlando. Um, you mentioned it. This game for me was defined by Becky Burley's introduction to the league. And I thought Orlando played well. Uh, I think it was Sydney LaRue that maybe suggested that after the match that, she has brought a really nice energy to the team. She's someone, I think she said that she's someone that clearly wants to be there. Right. Um, which I find interesting. We don't have to get into all of the context of. Well, I think it's how- fair to say that the team was hurt by what happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. And what we don't know, what we really don't know. And I don't want to imply is that we don't know if there was any issues with the working relationship before Mark Skinner decided to leave, but it does sound like the way in which he left left the team uh feeling a little bit a little bit stung which is very fair but yeah yeah no agreed and i i think that's just that just radiated in their performance um courage i think we're just average courage which is still pretty good (laughs) um you can see that uh, it's pretty clear that they're missing their best players but they're managing fine in the meantime. And I don't know, maybe I, I think they'll be fine. Once those players come back, really the only reason I was pausing is because I was thinking about Sam Mewis and how she's probably got 1 trillion minutes on her legs, but well, yeah, yeah, I mean the Sam Mewis that they're getting back is not the Sam Mewis that they had before she left. Um, yeah. And maybe that actually isn't bad. You know, maybe she can find a little bit of some, uh, a grounding place to be with her club and and work her way back in. I think Lynn Williams should hopefully, and I think will probably be playing a little bit sooner, perhaps fascinated to see if Abby doll Kemper's tournament has influenced what happens with her after this tournament is over. Like she did not play very well. I don't know if that affects not only her place at Manchester city, but where she wants to be. I don't know like where her head is at right now. Um, we know that North Carolina got $60,000 in that trade where they sent Kristen Hamilton and Haley Mace out for Amy Rodriguez. And I don't know if they're going to do anything with that. They got Abby Urseg back for this game, which is wild. Um, she's, she's a machine, but uh, Truly. yeah, I think for North Carolina, they will absolutely be better when they get all of their pieces back. But I do think that still, they're having a weird year. They're just having in a similar, in a similar way to, to some, some other teams, just, I think again, 
this league, these teams are, and maybe this ties back to some of what we saw even with the U S and I I'm even just speaking from personal experience. Like I think that these teams are a little bit more in 2020 recovery than we give them credit for sometimes, whether it is in how the team is performing or how the locker room is feeling or what pieces they have available to them. And North Carolina definitely seems like a team that has still not necessarily overcome again, that idea of like the air through the cracks that we, the the light through the cracks that we could kind of see from them in 2020. Um, But yeah, I mean, decent point, right. For both teams, definitely a good point for Orlando who are on a bit of a skid. Um, Yeah. I don't know. You'll think that both teams will be getting their Brazilians back relatively soon. And that um, should help. That should help. Yeah. So that's that on. <laughs> and I'm saying, I think there's just a lot of yeah. burnout. All yeah, over. right. Everybody's just very big cloud of burnout all yeah. over the American women's soccer space. And yeah, I agree. Well, you know, the season is only a few I know. Months can can we thing. forget an Olympic break? Can we can we just take like a three week break now? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I think everybody, um, I think everybody will uh, handle that nicely. Yeah, sure. Um, so moving on, moving on to the next game of the weekend. Uh, OL Rain hosted uh, Racing Louisville. They won this 2 nothing. on, this is big, actually. This is a, a quite big story in the, in the greater context of things. Eugenie Le Somer got her first two goals in the NWSL in this match. The first one being the gift seen around the world. <laughs> yeah. She ruined Aaron Simon's life. Uh, sent her, sent her to the ground and, and placed the ball in the back of the net. Um, I've said this before. I, uh, I said that I will start believing in the OL rain project when we see something like this. And I think that this is a big step forward for them. And you have to think that they have a certain amount of positive momentum right now. Absolutely. I mean, this is really probably the entire year been one of the most fascinating teams for me to watch because it's a really, it, it I mean, we've talked about this before. It's an ambitious project that they're on. And now it's an ambitious project under new leadership. And Laura Harvey, I think, has settled in really nicely with this group so far. They probably had their best collective game in a while, I thought. And probably helps that over the pit, I mean, across the pitch, they probably had better players than their opponents. Well, right. You have to take it with a grain of salt. This is against Louisville, which... um you know, Louisville has had some really bright spots this season, no doubt. Uh, but it's still just some of that roster imbalance coming back to haunt them. Yeah. I keep saying this. They don't have a defensive midfield. <laughs> and it's uh, sometimes their their players are able to overcome that disconnect, whether it's through their attackers coming back or through just kind of more direct play through the, you know, from the wings, you know, getting Emily Fox involved. Yeah. But uh, they just have these pockets of space that are left vulnerable and, and teams are learning to expose that. And I think that it also makes sense that this is beginning to happen because it was something actually that, that you know, in Chicago, but that Roy Dame said after their match this weekend, which is just that one of the things about the NWSL that many teams pride themselves on is the idea that if a team beats you once, they're not going to beat you the second time you play. And so I think that what we are seeing is we're seeing these adjustments being made against Louisville and they were able to through, you know, through kind of running at other teams and executing very simple game plans, they were able to get these results earlier in the season, but we're beginning to see the other teams adjust. And I think that that could be a little bit foreboding for the rest of Louisville season, but, but we'll see. 
Um, go, yeah, good win for Oil Rain. Much needed three points. They have six points now in their last two games. Are you thinking Oil Rain playoff contender? I think it's within the realm of possibilities. I think we have a really small sample size um, since Laura Harvey took over, but it, well, it, well, she. I mean, she. They're still interim right now. It's still Sam oh, Lady. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's she, okay. It's okay. Yeah, I'm, no, it is kind yeah. of the Laura Harvey, the Laura Harvey uh, era. But I'm sure she's influencing it. I'm I'm positive that she has been in communication with the team uh, extensively yeah. while she's been in Japan. Yeah, that that's really wor- more what I meant. Yeah, the la- the but, the end of the Freed Benstidi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So small sample sizes will have uh, for a little while. Uh, ladies done a decent job with this group. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Harvey does with them. But like I said, totally within the realm of possibilities at this point. Eugenie Le Sommer, who, I mean, we don't have to talk about the com- commentator mispronouncing her name if we don't want to. Yozani. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I still don't know how that happened. But she, look, great game from her. If she continues that form, there's an extra playoff. Well, actually, two more playoff spots than last year. Why not? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that they, I mean, even if you just look points-wise, they're in contention here with a lot of other teams. I think it's going to be very tight. I just think, you know, there's, I think whoever gets seventh is is not going to be a bad team. I've been saying that, and I think that that is still true. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think it's good for the league that OL Reign is starting to figure this out. I think them not adjusting would be a real shame with the talent that they have. Yes. Agreed. Uh, so looking good for them. Good, good three points. Uh, Louisville is going to have an interesting month of August. I think they have the women's cup coming up. So they're going to be playing either PSG or Bayern Munich and uh, including a, a league game against Chicago, but they've, they've played each other before and obviously Louisville did quite well. So I don't know. I, it, again, it's not because they're a bad team. It's just very specific roster imbalances that teams are learning to exploit. So um, moving on to the third game of the weekend, which was the first game on Sunday. It was quite early. It was at noon local. Um, yeah. Portland hosted Kansas city. They won that two to nothing on a dun, 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 own goal. Own goal made an appearance <laughs> in the end of ASL this weekend. Uh, and they doubled the scoreline with a goal from Marissa Everett. Now, another piece of news that happened this week that I don't know. We don't know what happens next, but Kansas city waived Nicole Barnhart this week. And what I don't know if is this was a move to help her go elsewhere, or if this was the end of her playing career, it seemed kind of unceremonious and in a way, you know, a move by a team that's really struggling. They still haven't won a game yet. Right. And they did just bring in another keeper and Caitlin Roland, who did start the match on Sunday kind of a weird ending right to the barnhart era yeah yeah i mean they i understand the move they kind of don't really need her anymore but yeah unceremonious is the perfect way to describe it and i guess i guess we'll see if she ends up somewhere else and has a chance at at a ceremonious ending but i don't know weird little it's a weird little way to end her time at the club, but I look from a, from a total soccer standpoint, I get it. Right. It does seem like Kansas city is shades of this all around. I guess Kansas city thought maybe they could run it back a little bit and lean on their original Kansas city core when they got this Utah team and have found that 
that is maybe not necessarily true. And so now we're starting to see uh, players get moved or waived or, or whatever they are. Sh- they, they feel the need to shake things up. And I understand that. Um, but in this game, I would not go so far as to say it flattered the thorns, but Kansas city is just not that bad. And it's, 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 a, it's frustrating to watch because they have not won a game yet. And that's, it's a quite a bad, quite a bad record. Um, but they are not as poor as some of the other teams in NWSL history that have gone through these stretches. They were competitive in this match. Kristen Hamilton was on the front foot. Bella Bixby had an incredible save on Kristen Hamilton early in the match that would have put Kansas city up one, nothing they're getting into good spaces. Those, those players that they picked up from North Carolina are already um, helping quite a bit. I don't know. I I don't know. What do you think party? (laughs) Right. Like we've seen this is the same story over and over for this poor team. They, do enough to be competitive in probably almost the games, almost all of the games they've played. Um, but I don't know. It just, it really just has to be that some of it is definitely just bad luck because I don't, I don't really think it's conceivable to play as well as they have and still be winless unless you're going through some bad luck. They're definitely, I mean, the thing is that definitely probably all of their opponents are better than them. Again, this is a team that just has like soft launch vibes all over it. I think I've probably said that one before. And that doesn't help matters for them, but it's just, to me, at the end of the day, some of this is just bad luck. Even if they are definitely, I mean, you could probably make an argument that they are the worst team in the league, but they're definitely not. I don't know. I don't feel like they're zero wins bad. Right. And again, I think that the moves that they're making is at the very least trying to sort of flip the mentality and flip some of the locker room culture, which I think is, is positive and might not pay dividends this season, but will hopefully do so next year. And another piece of news on that is that uh, the equalizers, Dan Loletta reported some of the expansion draft rules as, as written for the California teams and Kansas city is exempt. Part of, part of them sort of saving that Utah team was, was done under the agreement that they would be exempt from the next expansion round, which I think will also help them. They'll be able to build without losing anybody for free. And I think that that is despite, despite maybe having some players that they would be okay with giving away for free. But uh, (laughs) the one thing that I don't think is great about Kansas city is that I don't think they're playing enough of their young players. And I think that at this point, I understand the balance of needing to win now, you know, and needing to get a win. I'm sure they're under some pressure. I'm sure Hugh Williams is under some pressure to get that done, but I mean, I, I'm not telling them to tank, but I am telling them to, to maybe, just really look to the future here at this point. But maybe you say that after you've gotten your first one. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess at this point it's worth the bet because you're already losing. I don't know how much worse can it get? I don't know. Maybe maybe that's not a question. Some people want to ask, but maybe it's worth asking a little bit. Yeah. No, they're building a project for the future. And I think they were given a rougher, given a rougher hand than they anticipated. um, But have always said, you know, this is, you know, similar to Louisville that I, I have some 
some faith that that is something that will not long-term be an right. issue. Right. I'm not like worried about them long-term and I'm not yeah. necessarily even worried about them right now. I just know that they're, they're not in a position to be playoff contenders right. they're at all. Having a rough time. Yeah. We're starting to see some separation, right? We're seeing kind of Portland pull ahead a little bit. We're seeing some still just really a lot of teams keeping pace, right? We've got a couple of teams still level on points and we are starting to see some separation now as well between Louisville and Kansas city and, and the rest of the pack. So we'll, we'll kind of see how that keeps going. So moving on to probably the most interesting, it had the most goals uh, game of the weekend. Uh, I was at this one Chicago hosted Washington, which they won three to one on a goal from Mallory Pugh, a goal from Rachel Hill Trinity Robin got one back and then uh, Chicago was given a questionable penalty kick, but it was <laughs> sunk by Morgan Gatra. So this game ends three, one. Um, this one's interesting, actually, even just in that due to the oddities of the schedule, that was the end of the season series between Chicago and Washington. They've oh, played each other a full three that. times now. Yeah. Wow. Chicago has played 13 games. Some other teams have only played 11 games. They just have a very top heavy part of the schedule. I don't know when their first buy is, but it's not soon. And <laughs> um, so, and it is also interesting because the spirit are a team that I think everybody considers to be a, a real kind of firecracker, a real playoff contender. And they are, but Chicago's had their number this year. Chicago beat them twice and tied them once. And I think that's interesting because Chicago is a team that, that we have been hard on in the past. I think it might be a sign of the tide changing a little bit for both teams, though, that whatever was defining them at the start of the season is no longer defining them, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe we're also seeing that for whatever reason, Chicago is a mental is a mental like a barrier that Washington struggles with, because my take on this game is just that Washington looked very easily frustrated against against the Red Stars. And we've seen them not be that. In, against other teams, like against North Carolina or against um, Orlando. We've seen them kind of overcome that. So interested by the fact that, that Chicago seems to be Washington's like bogeyman a little bit. Uh, but let's talk about Mallory Pugh. So she has probably her nicest goal as a Chicago Red Star in this game, has a very fun celebration plan. <laughs> um and it seemed like I got to say out of every team we've seen play this week, be it international or domestic, the only team that was having any fun was the Chicago Red Stars. Yes, congratulations. Which is kind of a turn of fortunes, right? I know. Good for you for not being the one team suffering from burnout this week. No, really, I'm thrilled for them. That sounded slightly sarcastic, but I'm, I do mean it. Um, you know, speaking on Mallory Pugh specifically, I think she in that game really showed what she can really be for this team and for herself, right? She's actually had a pretty rough go of things the last few years. Um, injuries and then just a spell at Gotham that didn't really work out. But she's the type of player that, based on age and both skill, it could totally just come together at some point. That's really within the realm of possibilities. So the fact that now we're starting to see it a little bit is great for a Chicago team that for a little while we've been talking about struggled for goals. And it's great for Mallory Pugh individually. It's, it looks like things are starting to work out there, and that's a really fun thing to watch. 
Agreed. Um, also want to shout out Trinity Rodman, who had another, well, actually, I wouldn't even say she had a good game, but she had a very good goal. Uh, she was pretty much taken out of the match in the first half, Chicago, and it's like a credit to her talent that Chicago really planned for her. They set Aaron Wright on her and, and really got physical with her and, and tried to get her frustrated. And they actually, they succeeded. She got a frustration, red, uh, not red card, yellow card uh, <laughs> in, in the first half. Um, she had another really just fabulous hustle goal. You know, she, this is an issue that Chicago's had where sometimes they get caught with some soft back passing and their keeper got caught in space. Robin was right there. She forced that and very composed in front of goal just slots it right into the back of the net uh, gives Washington hope in this one until, until that handball call again, you know, we, we're now, since we're talking about really reshuffling that U S roster, she's got to be the first person you call, right? I mean, I don't know how you don't, I know she's, I, I mean, I know some people like to be like to caution patients with young players, but she's the, her form is unquestionable. Her ability is unquestionable. I think she's probably had a smoother transition to life as a professional than I, I think anyone could have predicted. Yeah. That's a credit. That's a credit to her ability. Um, look, if a player is meeting all of those, uh, meeting all of those performance and quality goals, national team uh, interest, that, that has to be the natural conclusion there. Yeah. I would say my only concern about Trinity Rodman is that, uh, and this is pretty natural. I think when you have an 18 year old that is this talented is just, she's going to have to, as everybody does, she, we, we've seen her in multiple games do these incredible things and then have her body kind of react to it where she has to kind of sit down or she, her, her back is hurting her or she gets the wind knocked out of her a little bit. And I think that if I were in charge of, of, you know, her, progress I would be very mindful of getting her a little bit more in touch with kind of how her body's feeling maybe it makes sense she's quite young and and she's you know obviously very uh athletically gifted but um it'll be interesting to kind of see this progress because we're seeing someone kind of like transcend out of their body and then kind of come crashing back down into earth and so uh Washington is going to have to keep an eye on that lest it become something a little bit more chronic um, I know people have complained about how um, involved U.S. soccer doctors are. So maybe if she does get on the national team, the U.S. soccer doctors will uh, help her with that. That's true. They'll, they'll helicopter in a little bit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was a good game. Probably the best game of the weekend. Uh, good, really good points for Chicago. They needed these. They need these because, again, they there are many teams actually that have games in hand on them right now. Like if you look at a team like Gotham, they're setting level with Chicago on points, but they have two games in hand, which is kind of wild. So um, we'll see kind of how that shakes out. But Chicago's not going away, and I kind of like that. Um, last game of the weekend, Houston versus Gotham. 1-1 draw. Nice goal from Gabby Seiler to open the scoring. And then Ifiani Manu said... Absolutely not. We are not walking out of this without a point. And she gets a goal at the death. Mitch Purse left this game injured, which is a huge bummer. Uh, it seemed like maybe, and this is talking about things getting muddy again a little bit. It seemed like maybe this was going to be a good character win for Houston, right? A good gritty, defensively minded, uh, just, you know, they hold on to this one nil win that they need to get some momentum going. Cause that's the whole thing with Houston, right? We've seen them put some nice games together, but it never feels like they're like getting that they're kind of rolling into the next thing. 
And then they drop these points. And that has just kind of been the story of their season so far, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought they had a really great defensive performance. I thought they did a really good job of... I, I would have found it impressive if they actually managed to keep out Onumono. She was really pressing for a goal in that second half. and that, uh, But I... I I almost feel a little bit bad discounting them for conceding at the last minute because like I said, I thought they were really solid defensively, but it sucks to get really, really close and then just not, not landed at the end. Yeah. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And I think again, shout out to Gotham whose defense also got stretched a little bit and did the thing that they do. And, I think that you, we even saw they were talking about, I think it was Didi Heritage who who tweeted about it after the game, just how much she appreciates what her defense does because it's not easy. And we've talked about this on the podcast about how their defensive style is so based in recovery and, and blocked, blocked shots that that's really hard to do. And the yeah. fact that they have continued to do it is, is really incredible. And I think that if you look at a team, if you want to give props to anybody for, um, just that hyper commitment to the style and not letting that slip in a, in a season where we've seen mental lapses from pretty much every team. Gotham's defense has not. And I think that that is really impressive. And that's why they're sitting in second with, with like two games in hand over, uh, over the team next to them in third. Then maybe this is the next question. These are two teams that are going to be in that pack, that six, place that six team playoff pack do you think first of all do you think gotham's in and do you think maybe by the end of this especially with a surging ol rain this one ends with houston out there's still so much season left yeah i know there is there's, a lot of it's left. and it's just i think these margins are going to be very tight yeah because just about every last one of these teams has weaknesses mm-hmm um you know houston still lacking ability to finish off games uh gotham you just talked about their weird defensive tactic that for the most part works but you know they're still conceding goals pretty regularly right um i think if you're asking me right now i'm betting against houston but I'm just saying that there's still there's still a lot of game to play. There, there's, there's still, still a lot, a lot of, of season to play, and I don't genuinely want to commit to anything right now. <laughs> well, and I would also say the thing about Houston too, when we talk about we don't know about what what state they're getting players back in. You have to think Houston. If Canada wins a gold medal in this tournament, those Canadians are going to come back ready to crush. And I think yeah. that that is a huge boost for Houston. Um, Christy Mewis has not played a lot in this tournament for the U S so she's going to come back relatively fresh. Actually, her danger is actually not being match fit because that's <laughs> what happens when you don't play matches for that many weeks. Uh, Jane Campbell will be ready to jump right back in. So I don't know. Houston's in a good spot. Actually. You're right to kind of keep, keep pushing in the second latter half of this season. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. And with Gotham, we'll see things get a little bit muddier with them. I don't know what the heck Carly Lloyd's where her head's going to be coming back right because a lot of a lot of their roster hasn't changed that much in the olympic break right has done really well yeah um in sheridan's absence and onumono does not make gotham feel lloyd's absence right so yeah i mean she's in 
I don't think she's in good form. I said this already. So I think the easy choice is to just keep Anumonu there, but you know, now purse is unavailable. So, oh yeah. I mean, I Carly Lloyd, I mean, I'm not the coach. So (laughs) that's true. You can't bench anybody. (laughs) No, no, I mean, no, I mean, so it's easy for me to sit here and say, yeah, well, Anumonu is the choice, but I mean, the consequences are something I probably don't have the most direct understanding of and definitely won't feel anyway, but. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you're right. There's a lot of season left to go. Um, August is going to be a very interesting month, I think, and and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, that's the other thing too. U.S. fans, you know, take some solace. There's a lot of soccer left to be played this summer. Get into the end of USL. Um, we are seeing some trends, though. I think we're seeing Portland get a little bit of separation at the top. And if we didn't talk about them a lot today, it's actually, it's like their, their excellence is their detriment because it's almost like routine at this point where we're like, yes, yes. they do all these things really well. You know, uh, Megan Klingenberg played quite, quite well. And Simone Charlie did as well. And Sophia Smith Sophia, and all, you know, yeah. it's like, yes, they're great. So um, Portland, I think, I still think this is their shield to lose. Uh, they've set themselves up well and they're getting, again, I don't know. I don't know what happens when you have, uh, I don't know what happens when you have a Crystal Dunn who had a terrible time come back. I don't know. Maybe she needs a little bit of extra time. Lindsay Horan, same, played a lot of minutes in this tournament. Um, but they're set up to weather that, to have the ability to tell some of their their U.S. players or even Christine Sinclair if she needs to to take a little bit of time uh, yeah. because they're holding Definitely down the fort fine. quite well. Yeah, so, they, so they're at the top. I think we have these teams, like, like you said, Houston, and I think also North Carolina, where – we anticipating we anticipate them getting much 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 better when they get players back so it's hard to gauge exactly where they're at right now and then we have teams like i think like Rain, orlando chicago washington who will probably not change as significantly when they get their players back but are growing into their season a little bit and so my hope is just that we're going to get some good soccer here in the latter half latter half of this that's always my hope yeah that's if everybody, number, yeah. yeah, right. If everybody can just keep their legs underneath them and, and, and recover as well as they possibly can. So this has been a massive, <laughs> massive edition of the equalizer podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us guys. I know, you know, we stayed weekly for this period and I'm eternally grateful because I'm not sure I would have survived doing game day coverage. Go ahead and listen to the kick and back podcast. If you would like individual episodes on each U S women's national team game day. Uh, but hopefully we got into some of it and there will be much to discuss as the weeks roll out, uh, we did get some reporting that the United States will be doing, I think, four games um, in, in international windows. So it, it's, I don't think they're planning on, on pulling anybody out for anything in particular, but I don't know. We might see a big retirement rush here at the end, and there's going to be just a lot to discuss. So thank you so much, Pardeep, for joining me. Uh, shout out to, to be here. Oh, yeah, as always. And then thank you to Blue Wire Podcast, who is our podcast distributor. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. I am your host, Claire Watkins. And this has been this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. <laughs>